At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. The exciting thing is that's just one service. We had people at the 8.30 and the 11.30. And God is continuing to grow our family. And that's something that we can celebrate. And so if you see them and you recognize them, give them a high five. Give them a fist bump. Say welcome to the family. Or if you have questions about next step scene, hey, how do you how do you think about that, or how do you feel about that? Then we can get you plugged in. Um, so I want to start off by sharing a story. And uh, a lot of you guys know I've talked before how I played soccer, and I actually played at a Christian college. They called it a Bible college because I guess it's even more Christian than saying just Christian. So it was a Christian Bible college, and believe it or not, Bible college students can be me. Okay, you get on a soccer field and it's not like when they're slide tackling like, Lord bless you after the slide tackle. Like, no, they, they're mean at times. And, and, and I remember playing with one of my buddies. We played with each other for three years and this guy never stopped talking on the field. Okay, he was the chirper. He was the smack talker and he would talk to the other team talk trash to them. He would talk trash to us. We were his own team. He would just always talk. And, and, and I think, I hope he's watching online today. But uh, one thing I always remember is he was actually probably our best player too. He was just a well-rounded player, scored a lot of goals, was a huge piece of our team. But, but I remember one time in particular, because if you talk too much, it's easy to get a yellow card. And yellow card is your penalty, right? It's like, hey, you get one more of these, you're kicked out of the game. And so he'd have the yellow card. And I remember one time, another team was matching him on trash talk. And it was actually a team in middle of nowhere, Kansas. And so we're playing this team in middle of nowhere, Kansas. And when we're playing them, they're talking back to him, he's talking back to them. And, and it got to a point when he just started pointing at the scoreboard. At that point, we were up two goals, and he's like, scoreboard. He would just run down. They'd be like, hey, we're going to scoreboard. So the whole game, you, you saw this guy. I'm going to, well, I can still run, believe it or not. Scoreboard, scoreboard. And I was like, oh, please be quiet. But, but I was thinking about that because in sports, the analysts, they will talk to their blue in the face about matchups, about experience, about skill, uh, odd makers. They will have their different odds that they think a game will be in a team's favor and not in their favor. Uh, you have people that will talk over and over about a game, but the only thing that matters is the scoreboard. The only thing that matters is when the time is up, that the score is in your favor. And so thinking about this message, that came to mind, that illustration came to mind, because when it comes with God, when it comes to God and Satan, God is just pointing at the scoreboard, saying, hey, scoreboard, you're going to lose. The odds are in our favor. When that time strikes zero, you're out. 
And, and so we serve a God and, and we sell ourselves walk in this life where we can look at the enemy and say, scoreboard. Because it's already written. You look at the, the word, it is already written what will come in the end. And, and we get to discuss that today. We get to celebrate that today. That in the end, our enemy is defeated. That God gets the final word on sin and evil. And he wins. And even though the forces of evil, they have fashioned tragedy after tragedy after tragedy in this world, despite all the damage they've done, God gets the final word. Not Satan, not the demonic beings that follow him, but God gets the final word. And so we've been talking through Revelation, and, and, and like we've been discussing, it's apocalyptic literature. So it talks about end times, it talks about what will happen, prophecies about what will be in the end, but it's also narrative. And in a narrative, you have different characters. You have the protagonists, who are the heroes. You have the antagonists, who are the villains. And there are a fair share of villains in Revelation. And we've been talking about some of them briefly, and I've been putting them on the projector for you to see, so we're all on the same page. When it mentions Babylon in Revelation, it talks about the corrupt kingdoms of the world. So not Babylon as we know in the Old Testament, but Babylon is a symbol which represents the corrupt kingdoms of the world. Then it goes into the beast and false prophet, and the beast and the false prophet are the agents of Satan to persecute and corrupt the church. And so we see from chapter 17 all the way to, to this scripture today in chapter 20, there has been a progression of God destroying Babylon, then God destroying the beast and, and, and the false prophet. So now Babylon has fallen, the beast is captured, and the false prophet silenced. And, and so today we get to see judgment, God's judgment, complete. We've seen different levels of it, but now we get to see it complete. And, and so how does this happen? Well, it starts with this. It starts with Satan being defeated. It starts in this section, chapter 20. So if you want to turn with me to chapter 20, starting in verse 7, it starts with Satan being defeated. This is what it says. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them for battle, their number like the sand of the sea, and they marched up against the broad plain or over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And, and so you see this, and this is why I love our church. This is why I love that we teach from God's word. Because we touch on scripture holistically. 
We don't just touch on, on the pieces that we feel better about or that tickle our ears or, or the areas where, where we feel like are, are easier for people to palate. We cover all scripture. And so in this text, you see Satan and, and he is destroyed and he is thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. But there's details that happen in between that point. And what happened in chapter 20, as John noted, is that Satan being bound for a thousand years, that was restricting Satan's ability to deceive the nations. But after the thousand years had ended, he was released. And you would think, because he was in prison, because he was separated, you'd think he would be grateful to be free, right? Isn't that the point of our prison system? For people to serve a term for a wrong they've done and then to be reintegrated to our culture and they live in a spirit of gratefulness. Hey, I've lived in that prison cell and now I get to be free again. So I'm not going to make the same mistakes I did. I'm going to live in gratitude that I get to be free now. That's not the case with Satan. Satan, when he is released... He actually doesn't wait a minute. He goes, as scripture says, and he gathers the nations. I mean, talk about success. He was able to be free and get all of humanity to come against God. And so we see in this text that when he brings a group of people, like the sand of the seashore, he brings them and they're referred to as Gog and Magog. So what are these weird names, right? Gog and Magog. These are actual names of enemies that, that are seen in the Old Testament. And so are these people coming back to life and they're going to lead the charge? No, these are the names of God's enemies from the Old Testament. And Gog and Magog seem to represent the collective nations who are gathered with Satan against God. So he goes... And he gathers this multitude of people. Verse 9, it shows us that it requires a broad plain of the earth. Why? Because the army was so massive. Because they were so large, they required a large area to travel because of, of the number that they had. And we see in John that it tells us when he brings this nation this large nation, as broad as, as the plains of the earth, that they surround the camp of the Christians and the beloved city of God's people. Surround them. So I was thinking about that. I was, I was trying to think of a story, an illustration of, of something that just doesn't seem like it's for the benefit of the people that are the main characters. And I thought of a movie, actually probably one of the more brutal movies that I've watched, uh, Lone Survivor. And maybe you've seen the movie before, and it's based on a true story. These four Navy SEALs, and they actually, by fluke, give up their position, so then the Taliban start attacking them. And so when the Taliban start coming towards them, it's clear they're, out, they're outnumbered, they're outmaneuvered, they're outgunned, and they put up a fight. But by sheer number, there's no way they're getting out of this. And so when I was thinking about that story and, and how there was just barely, barely one survivor, 
It, you feel like there is absolutely no hope. So here are the nations of the earth. They're gathered together against God's people. They're surrounding. And then what happens? We, we see in the text in verse 9 that fire came down from heaven and consumed Satan's army. There's an indication here that we didn't play any part in it. <laughs> Again, a couple weeks ago, I talked about how we, when we think of end times, we think about the final battle of Armageddon, we tend to think we're going to be in it. We're going to be battling in it. We better work on our skills. Again, there's no indication that God's people did anything. Fire came down from heaven and consumed Satan's army. This is a complete one-sided act of God. And the armies of Satan are consumed in, in mere moments. And then right away after that, God says enough is enough. In verse 10, we see the last image or word of Satan in the entire Bible. We see the last of him. So you want to know the last of Satan. When is the last time you'll see him? Chapter 20, verse 9 through 10. And in that moment, we see that God casts him into the lake of fire and sulfur, right alongside the beast and the false prophet. And there is where he rests for eternity. And so I read this, and, and you're talking about hell, you're talking about a burning lake of fire and sulfur and torment, and, and when we hear this, we have to remember that this should be an encouragement for us. This should be an encouragement because most of us, aka all of us, have been at war with Satan in our own lives. We've been engaged with the enemy as he looks to pull us away. He looks to make us fall into sin. He tries to cripple our marriages. He tries to create insecurities and hurt, just hurt us even physically. And so this should be something that we should celebrate because it's been a long battle. It's been a long, hard-fought battle, and it's been exhausting. There's been more setbacks than we would like to admit. There's more shame and guilt that we would like to admit. But we see here that the celebration is that our enemy is destroyed. That at this moment, we don't have to do the fighting lest we take pride thinking we've done something. God doesn't. And so we celebrate this truth knowing that God has now delivered us from the spiritual warfare and the spiritual attacks and Satan is finally, finally defeated. But that's not it. Now that Satan is defeated, sin will be judged. We see that sin itself will be judged after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. This is what it says in verses 11 through 13, and then we'll skip to verse 15. Then I saw a great white throne, 
and him who is seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Let, let's stay there for a moment. We see this great white throne. We've talked about this before. This throne, white, represents purity. The greatness of it represents that it's above all thrones of this earth, a divine authority in God. And this throne is so great that earth and sky try to flee from it. There's such a reverential fear for this throne. No place was found for them because of the great white throne. And so what happens before this wonderful, majestic throne? Then he saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Books, plural. Two books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So let's go back to the last, the last slide and, and look at the first couple verses of that section. And, and so we see this. Dead, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before, before the throne. See, this is important for us to understand. Great and small. Rich, wealthy, poverty-stricken. Kings and servants. People with degrees and academia and accolades and people with none. People from the moment that earth was started to, to right now. Every single person that has ever lived in humanity will stand before the great white throne. That's a number I cannot even imagine. Right? Well, wasn't T. Swizzy in town? Taylor Swift? You know, I talked a couple weeks ago about being edgy, so I got to know all the slang. T. Swizzy, is that, do I need to just stop and, and never? I heard mixtures. Right? She packed out Ford Field. What about a Michigan game? I got to go to a Michigan game in the fall. I looked over 100,000 people. You just thought everyone was there. Man, how are there more people than are what are in this giant bowl? There are so many people here. Think about the largest crowds you've ever seen. Maybe uh, some people have heard of Azteca, where Mexico, uh, the Mexico professional team plays, the national team plays. Some say about 200,000 people can go in that stadium to watch a game. You, you think about this, this multitude, that's just a drop in a bucket compared to every person that has ever lived that stands before the great white throne. To, to me, that is, that's unbelievable. And, and we see that God is completely impartial. Oh, wow, you did this? Okay, yeah. No, no he, he actually has his first book. And we see in his first book that it's, it contains the sins 
of everyone that has ever lived. And so as we see this in verse 13, when it says the dead were judged, each one of them according to what they've done, the first book open contains the actions of individuals by which we are judged. But the second book contains names. Who are these names? You know, the first battle between God and Satan that we just talked about five minutes ago, that was more of a battle scene. Now this is more like a, a courtroom. And, and the judgment is happening. But the second book contains the names of those who have eternal life. It, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life because those are the names of people that accepted the sacrificial lamb of Jesus. And so if our name is written in the lamb's book of life, that, mean we, that means we've accepted Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin. We've accepted and have surrendered our lives to him. And, and now because of what he's done for us, the sacrifice that he's given for us, we are covered our payment, which was hefty, has cleared. He has paid the price. He has suffered the penalty. He has already endured the curse of God's law on our behalf. If we put our trust in him. If we put our faith in him. And so God's final word on sin is that sin will be judged. All of it will be judged before his great white throne. We see the third thing, that death will be destroyed. So again, Satan is defeated, sin is judged, and now the very last enemy is death. Look at verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Four times in Revelation, we see death and Hades connected together. Death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire. And this is interesting because I had some conviction on this. This is one of those things where your pastor can say with honest truth that, that this is an area I still even need to grow. Because I've kind of just accepted death. You know, like in the great words of the prophet Forrest Gump in his movie, <laughs> Forrest Gump, he says, dying's just part of living. Guys, that's not true. You look at the scripture, and that's completely unbiblical. 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul calls death our last enemy. It isn't natural. It is terrible. It is cruel. And that's why God says, I am throwing death into the grave. And no longer we will have to bury any more loved ones. No more. You ever think? Because God, he could have thrown Satan away last. 
He, can, he could have thrown the false prophet away last. He chose for death to be thrown away last. Because we all got to face it. And we don't know our time. We might live thinking we're invincible, but man, we are not. There's one thing I've realized in this world. It's how precious life is. It's so precious. And so death, as unnatural as it is, is certainly not a blessing. The only blessing for us is that we would see the Father. But don't get it twisted. Death is our enemy. Even just a few verses later in Revelation 24, there was some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It says, God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people and death will be no more. See the distinction? I'm going to wipe away these tears. No more death. No more pain. No more suffering. My last enemy will be defeated. You see, church, God has the last word on Satan, on sin, and on death. And, and that's what we see here in chapter 20. You would think it'd be more climactic with uh, Satan and, and the fight with him and God, but it's not a match. It, it isn't much of a match at all. It's there and it's gone in a verse. And so I think about what about us here today? Because there are people in this room that need to accept Christ. And there's people in this room who have accepted Christ, but just live in shame and guilt and thinking you're going to earn your salvation. And I found this statement. I thought it spoke so much truth. This is what it says. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I can be the biggest hypocrite ever. I backslide, I stumble, I fall, I stray onto the wrong path, but God is working in me. I may be a mess, but I'm his mess. And he has slowly straightened me out. And the day will come when I will be by his side, his work in me completed. And until that day, I will take his hand and let him do in me whatever needs to be done, no matter how painful it will be for me. When he is finished, it'll all be worth it. If you've not taken his hand, it's there. You might not think he wants your mess. He knows your mess. He's in the mess. You might say, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Join the party. We say it all the time. If, if we were a perfect church, then we would have no attendance because none of us would be allowed to be here. All by God's grace. Will you take his hand? Father, I want to pray right now as we see that you have had the last word, that scoreboard on Satan and sin and death. God, this is your authoritative word your final word on the forces of evil and darkness in our world. Father, let us not live with defeat. Let us know that you win. Our enemy loses. 
Father, I pray we receive this hope, we receive this encouragement, knowing Satan will be defeated, sin will face justice, and death will be destroyed. And in the meantime, Father, work in our hearts and our lives. Father, change us from the inside out and work in us in a way that we can only give you the glory. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.